0: And welcome to Next Reads, a podcast where we read the first chapter of a young adult or middle grade book to help you figure out what to read next. This podcast might contain language or situations some readers might find offensive or unsettling. The North Liberty Library does not necessarily endorse any author's views, but it does support the freedom of speech and the freedom to read. I'm your host, Kayla, the Youth and Teen Services Librarian at the North Liberty Library. My pronouns are she and her. Welcome, listeners. Today, we'll be reading The Witch of Woodland by Laurel Snyder. Laurel Snyder is a graduate of the Iowa Writers Workshop, and she's also the author of multiple picture books and middle-grade books, including Orphan Island, which is highly acclaimed. This book was published May of 2023 and is a middle-grade book. It's a fantasy with magical realism, and the book flap says this. Hi, whoever is reading this, I'm Zipporah Chava McConnell, but everyone calls me Zippy. Things used to be simple, until a few weeks ago. Now my best friend Bia is acting funny. Everyone at school thinks I'm weird, and my mom is making me start preparing for my bar mitzvah, even though we barely ever go to synagogue. The only thing that seems to be making sense is magic. The thing is, I'm a witch. I've been casting spells since I was little. And even if no one else wants to believe in magic anymore, it has always felt true. But I was still shocked the day I found this strange red book at the library, and I conjured something. A girl, actually. A girl with no memory and wings like an angel. You probably don't believe me, but I swear it's the truth. Miriam is like no one else I've ever met. She's proof that magic is real. And it's hard to explain this part, but I know that we're connected. That means it's up to me to help Miriam figure out what she is and where she came from. And if I can do that, maybe everything else in my life will start to make sense too. Ooh, so that's the summary. This book is also written as her thoughts as she records them, which she calls the truth. This book is authentically uncomfortable, and it explores herself and her community. And there are no content warnings for this book. So, I'm going to get started on the first chapter. And this book also has a prologue. A prologue is a thing that comes before the story. When I told Via I was going to write this book, she didn't get it. Why? She asked, glancing over at my desk where I'd set up a little writing studio for myself with three freshly sharpened pencils and a new composition book neatly laid out. On the wall above my desk, I tapped a quote from some grown-up writer that says, "'A bird doesn't sing because it has an answer. "'It sings because it has a song.'" I wasn't sure exactly what that meant, but I'd found it on a site of inspiring quotes for writers, and it made me happy. I love birds. "'I just don't get it,' said Bee, frowning at the sign. "'Why a book? "'That sounds like a lot of work. "'What's the point?' I didn't have a logical answer. I just knew I needed to tell my story." I could feel it inside me, waiting. Because I want to, I said, and it's going to be nonfiction, the truth, or as close as I can get to it anyway. The truth? Asked Bia. No one will believe you. Zippy, I barely believe you. And I was there. Anyway, who's going to read your book? 12-year-old authors aren't a thing. I'm 13 now, I reminded her. Same difference, said Bia. Bia is still 12, but she's mature for her age and looks it. She dyes her blonde curls pink every couple of months. She also gets dress-coded more than anyone else in our grade. Sometimes, she draws tattoos on her arms with Sharpie. "'Well, maybe I'll just leave you out of my book, then,' I said. "'If you're gonna be like that, fine by me,' said Bia. "'I'm not sure I want to be on the record as part of this whole thing anyway, but whatever.' "'Whatever yourself,' I said back. "'Why don't you just go home if you aren't going to be any help?' "'Fine,' she said, hopping up from my bed.' where she'd been sitting crisscross applesauce with her dirty shoes on. Even though she knows I hate that more than anything, I think I will. And she did. Fine, I shouted after her as the screen door slammed in the front room. Door slamming is kind of a small physical detail good writers put in their books. We learned about it at school, in our unit on powerful language. In case you're wondering, B has been my best friend since kindergarten. And for a long time, I thought we were as alike as two people could be. When we were little, we pretended to be sisters, even though I had long dark hair and she had her mop of blonde ringlets. We wore matching clothes and whenever we wanted to change our favorite color or TV show or candy, we decided that together with a vote, we shared everything. Our friendship isn't like that anymore, which is kind of sad and kind of not sad. I still don't entirely understand how that happened. We both changed, I guess. But even if things are different and we fight, Bia is still my best friend. We talk on the phone and sleep over on weekends, and sometimes she copies my math homework or I copy hers, which I should probably not put in this book just in case someone actually does read it, but I am determined that this book will be the truth. And the truth is we sometimes cheat at math. The other truth is that Bia is family to me. She just is. So if you're reading this and thinking that she sounds mean or rude, I hope you remember that no matter what, she's my person. But irregardless, and to get back to this book I'm writing and which you are maybe reading now, Bia was wrong that day in my room. It wasn't the same difference, not really. 13 isn't 12 and today isn't yesterday. Sometimes important things happen and everything changes. So slowly you don't notice or so quickly you nearly miss it or you change in ways you never expected. I guess that's what happened to me last year. I grew, whether I wanted to or not. And what B doesn't get is that I don't care so much if other people believe my story. That's not why I'm writing this all down. I'm writing it because I'll read this book. I know I will, over and over for the rest of my life, trying to figure out what happened, trying to understand it better. Look, I know that as time goes by, I'll forget the details. I've forgotten so much already. But I'm hoping I can hold on to the parts I still remember, the ones that haven't slipped away, because someday I'll turn into a grown-up. Someday I'll have a job and a car and a dishwasher. And if I'm not careful, I'll wake up one morning and I'll be too old to remember what happened the year I turned 13. So I'm writing this book. Starting today, I definitely am writing this book, no matter how it turns out, even if it ends up being a total failure. And if you're reading it somewhere in the future, whoever you are, I hope you'll like it and believe my story. That would be nice. But if you don't, that's okay too. I know now that people are going to believe what they want and what happened is pretty wild. I couldn't, I almost couldn't believe it myself. As a matter of fact, that was sort of where everything began, I guess. With me not believing. Chapter one, how it actually started. Okay, I don't want to sound obnoxious, but wasn't that good? Didn't that sound like something from a real book? All that stuff about, that was sort of where everything began with me not believing. I hope so. I revised it over and over. I worked really hard. Anyway, I guess where everything truly began was in the kitchen of my house. And when it began was one awful day last August when I was still 12. That day I was sitting there after school eating a bowl of rice pudding at the kitchen island and worrying about the fall fling. Because walking home from school that day along Woodland, Bia hadn't been able to talk about anything else. We'd started seventh grade a few weeks earlier, and that morning, over the intercom, they'd announced the big fall dance. I'd barely registered the announcement myself, but the entire way home, as we'd walked past the overgrown yards and honeysuckle-covered fences and colorful old bungalows of Woodland Avenue, Bia had gone on and on about the red mini-dress she wanted to buy for the dance and about how she was hoping her mom was going to let her wear actual makeup as opposed to just boring lip gloss. We trudged along, sweating in the heat. August in Atlanta is pretty unbearable. And the whole conversation made me as uncomfortable as the weather. Then Bea stopped walking for a minute in the shade of a huge weeping willow that hung over the street and said, "'The main thing, Zippy, is that you don't want to overdo it, because that's the kiss of death in middle school. You know what I mean?' I absolutely didn't know. "'Kiss of death?' I asked, staring out through the willow branches that Bea and I had swung on only a few years earlier. "'What are you talking about? Overdo what?' "'It,' Bia said as she parted the branches, stepping through them and began walking again. You know, like the dance, the dress, the whole deal, everything. "'Now that we're in seventh grade, you want to keep it cool.' "'But,' I said, "'how would I overdo it? How would I keep it cool? I don't even understand what any of that means.' I glanced down at my black leggings and matching t-shirt, the long wavy hair that fell to my waist feeling bewildered and not remotely.' cool. Bea laughed and said, hey, I have an idea. What if we went to the dance with Lane and Tess and Mina and Leah? The walking group, I asked, but we aren't in the walking group. Bea shrugged. Maybe we could be. Um, okay, I said. Lane and Tess and Mina and Leah were a bunch of girls who lived in our neighborhood. They hadn't been a friend group in elementary school, but suddenly in sixth grade, they'd all started walking home together, laughing and gossiping so loudly, I was pretty sure they wanted everyone to listen in. They had matching friendship bracelets, and they usually stopped at Morelli's for ice cream after school to order the weird hipster flavors nobody really likes, rosemary olive oil or whatever. On weekends, they hung out in the church parking lot a few blocks from my house, where they met up with 8th grade boys and left diet can sodas behind. They all seemed endlessly comfortable and happy, and I low-key hated them. Of course, there were other groups of kids all over the neighborhood who walked home together, but if you mentioned the walking group, everyone knew what you meant. Yeah, that'd be fun, right? said Bia. Immediately, I felt my chest flutter. No. I wanted to say, no, definitely not fun, not fun at all. For as long as I could remember, it had always just been Bia and me, me and Bia. People had tried to split us up, and we'd been shuffled off to summer camp without each other and sorted into different classes several times, but none of that had made a difference. We'd been set up on playdates to make new friends, but even then we'd stuck together. We wrote notes, we came up with code names for people we didn't like. If one of us had a stick of gum, we automatically tore it in half to share. You know what I mean, best friends. Whenever she says something that hurts my feelings, I try to remind myself of that. Here, I'll give you the perfect example. Something happened a long time ago at Bia's eighth birthday party. Bia's mom had invited a handful of other kids to her party in an effort to broaden her social group. But since I was her best friend, I got to sit next to her when she blew out her candles and sleep in the fold-out sofa with her while the other kids crawled into their sleeping bags on the rug. Only, I did a stupid thing. I drank way, way, way too much root beer. At dinner and during the movie and even after that. So then, when it was time to go to sleep, I had to pee like, whoa. But of course, the other girls were all falling asleep on the floor around us and I was afraid of waking them up or stepping on them. I was sure I'd annoy everyone and then they all have to listen to me through the thin bathroom door as I peed a million gallons of root beer. So instead, I closed my eyes and forced myself to sleep, which was fine. Until I woke up in the darkness, completely drenched. Have you ever peed the bed? Do you know what that feels like? It's miserable and hard to explain. It's like the pee is warm coming out of you and it actually feels kind of nice when you're half asleep but somehow the minute you're awake and the pee is on your skin, it turns cold and sticky and everywhere all down your legs. There was so much root beer pee that night. I tried to roll out of it, but the whole bed was just stiff wet sheets. So for a minute, I lay there holding my breath and listening to the other kids breathing and rustling and whistling faintly in the darkness around me. What could I do? Beside me, Bia was silent, her face buried in her pillow, her hair a mess of wild, curly shadows. Finally, I was too miserable and clammy and chilly to stand it anymore. My teeth were chattering, and I was never going to be able to sleep like that. Even if I made it through the night, Bea would wake up in the morning and discover my disaster. What would happen then? The pee would only stain and smell worse as it dried. So at last, I inched over and tapped Bea's shoulder. Psst, I whispered. Are you awake? Even though I knew she wasn't. Immediately, Bia flipped over and squinted at me. Sure, she said. You just woke me up. Everything okay? I shook my head. No, I whispered, trying not to cry. I wet the bed. What should I do? Around us, the room was silent and still. Bia didn't reply at first. I remember being afraid she might laugh out loud and wake everyone up. I felt like I was holding my breath that whole time, waiting to see what might happen as she lay there thinking. Then suddenly, she nodded and said, "'Okay, then. Me, too.' "'Huh?' I asked. "'What do you mean? You, too, what?' Bea said up. "'Me, too,' she said. "'I peed the bed, too.' "'And then, much, much more loudly, she shouted, "'Hey, Mom! I peed the bed!' "'On the floor all around us, people began to stir. "'But Bia didn't seem to care at all. "'She just stood up on the creaky, springed fold-out sofa, "'hopped over me, and jumped down onto the floor. "'Then she turned on the light over the stairs "'and shouted up on the second floor, "'Mom!' Hey, mom, you need to change the sheets. I peed the bed and I peed on Zippy, poor Zippy. Somehow her loud, wonderful lie made everything okay. Maybe because she was the birthday girl, nobody even laughed. Mel came downstairs looking sleepy and confused. She stripped our sheets and remade the bed while B and I both ran up to her room for fresh pajamas. Then we all went back to sleep until it was time for chocolate chip pancakes in the morning. Nobody else ever said a word about it, and Bea never mentioned it again. So that was it. She'll tease and laugh, she'll poke and shout, she'll put her filthy shoes on my nice clean quilt and mess up my neat room and slam the door and tell me when I'm being annoying. But she'll also be there when I need her. I figured it would be stressful enough to go to my first middle school dance with just Bea, but going to a dance with Lane and Tess and Minna and Leah, who never even talked to me at school unless they needed to borrow my pencil, sounded much worse. I couldn't even imagine it. Why on earth would Bia want to do such a thing? Still, I managed to spit out the words, I, uh, maybe. Anyway, we don't have to decide today. I might not even go to the dumb dance. Bia stopped walking then and turned around to look at me. Really? She asked. You think it's dumb? Why? There was a funny look on her face, annoyed, almost angry. But as a rule, when Bia was angry, she came right out and said what she was thinking. "'I don't know,' I said, feeling flustered. "'I don't think dances are really my thing.' "'But,' argued Bia, "'you've never been to a dance before, have you? "'We skipped it last year because of that camping trip with your dad.' "'I shook my head. "'No, but you know, lots of people, noisy.' "'Still,' said Bia, "'you could try, you could try to like the dance if you wanted. "'And the walking group, you could decide to give them a chance.' couldn't you? What would be so bad? I shook my head again. I don't think so, I said. If we go with a group, we can't leave if we get bored. And anyway, what if they say no? What if they don't want me there? They're not very nice, I don't think. It's just too much. Bea looked exasperated. Seriously, she said, why don't you think they're nice? What have they ever done to you? What difference does it make, I said. Just go without me, I was trying so hard to sound cheerful and chill, but I could feel myself starting to get upset. You go with the walking group, and I'll stay home. I don't mind. It's really okay. Ugh, said Bia, turning around and starting to walk again. No, it's not okay, she said. Of course it isn't, and of course I'm not going to ditch you. I'm pretty sure you know that. In fact, I think that's the only reason you could suggest it, Zippy. Because you know I never would. Isn't that right? I... I wasn't sure what to say to that. Was that true? I wasn't sure. Maybe it was. It felt sort of true. Bea stomped along ahead of me now, shouting back over her shoulder. Never mind about the walking group, she said. We'll just go to the dance alone. Or I guess we can stay home and watch a movie like every other boring weekend in the boring history of the boring world. It just sounded fun. To me, anyway. I walk along behind her after that staring down at my feet in their black sandals and at the weeds growing up through the old hexagonal paving stones in the sidewalk. We were silent for blocks and blocks, and I didn't know how to feel. I'd won the argument, somehow, and kept Bia for myself. But it didn't feel good or right. It felt like I'd fallen into a trap that I didn't know was there. I guess that's how all traps work. Anyway, it might not sound like such a big deal to you, but at the time, it felt like something had suddenly changed, like when the wind shifts a little and there aren't any raindrops, but you can tell it's going to storm. Bia was often annoyed with me, but this silence was unfamiliar, and I didn't know what it meant. What wasn't she saying? When we got to her house, an old gray Victorian with a wraparound porch and peeling paint, she'd opened the gate and headed up the walk. I called goodbye and waved at the back of her pink head and her backpack, but she never even turned around. So, yeah, that brings us back to my story, I guess, as well as my rice pudding. After that terrible walk home with Bia, I was just trying to mind my own business and console myself with a snack in the kitchen. When mom suddenly dashed in, she dashes around a lot, and splattered me with a bunch of words I wasn't expecting. Zippy! Mom shouted, it's time to talk about your bar mitzvah. I swallowed a bite of my pudding before I replied, what? I asked. What bar mitzvah? The one you're going to have next spring, said mom. In February, a week after your birthday, Rabbi Dan called to tell me the date is set, February 22nd. Huzzah! Isn't that exciting? They were able to squeeze you in. I put down my spoon at this point. Even on a good day, I do not like surprises. But this was a big surprise on a not good day. Though maybe I should take a moment to explain that mom loves surprises. We were very different, mom and I. She's loud when I'm quiet and quick when I'm slow. She's loose and laughs all the time, except when she's having a temper tantrum. Also, she makes friends everywhere. Do you know anyone like that? Mom will start chatting with a stranger in line at the grocery store and leave with their number and plans to get together for drinks. She's often in a hurry, and if you ever see someone running into the bank in their pajamas and messy brown ponytail, that's probably her. I love her, but she's a disaster. But why a bar mitzvah, I asked, frowning. Why haven't we talked about this before now? We barely ever go to synagogue. I won't know what to do. we had been to my cousin's bar mitzvah a few years earlier, and I'd had a great time at the party, eating many eclairs and drinking Shirley Temples. But I hadn't even known when to stand up or sit down during the ceremony. I knew a handful of Hebrew letters, of course, and I could speak a few words like shalom, that means hello, and toda, that's thank you. Kind of the same way you maybe know a little Spanish from Sesame Street, but that's not the same as truly understanding. Mom blinked. Come on, Zip, she said. Of course we go to synagogue. For the high holidays every year, and other times too, we marched with the synagogue at Pride, remember? Well, yeah, I shot back, but that didn't exactly help prepare me for a bar mitzvah. Also, we marked with the Quakers too. Doesn't that mean we're Quaker now? Mom stared at me and took a deep, annoyed breath. When she finally spoke, her voice was different, colder, calmer. (sighs) Zipporah Chava McConnell, she said. I thought this was good news. It's a party. What's not fun about that? I honestly don't know what's wrong with you today. I wasn't exactly sure what was wrong with me either. I was confused and sad. Between Bia and mom, everything felt like too much. Sorry, I guess, I said. I'm having a hard day, but I still don't understand. Why do I need a bar mitzvah? We aren't religious, and I thought you only had to go to a bar mitzvah if you went to Hebrew school all the way through and knew the prayers and everything. I thought it was like a graduation, and I thought we were only like part-time Jews. Mom didn't answer me at first. She stared at me over the kitchen island. Then she said, look, Zippy, I'm not sure how to explain it to you, but there's no such thing as a part-time Jew. You're correct that typically, the kids at our synagogue who become bar mitzvah have completed the Hebrew school program, but that just makes it even nicer that they're making an exception for you. Rabbi Dan is offering special tutoring if you need it, which is really generous of him. You like Rabbi Dan, don't you? Sure, I said. Of course I like Rabbi Dan. He was a nice enough person, but I didn't know him. I only saw him a few times a year from a distance when he was leading services up on the bima, it wasn't like we were pals. Exactly, said mom. So religious or not, we are Jewish. You are having a bar mitzvah, and that's the end of it. We're part of a tradition. Those people are our community. Got it? Our community? I asked. But I don't even know anyone's name there. Mom shook her head. You can argue all day long about this if you want, Zippy, but there are loads of folks who want to celebrate you at the synagogue, and in other parts of your life too. People who have watched you grow up, family and friends, teachers, you might not care about all of this, but they care about you, and it would be selfish not to share your big day with them. My big day? I asked. Also, she continued, I already sent a save the date to the grandma's and put down the deposit on Ziva's for the party. So this is happening. Our first meeting with the rabbi is tomorrow. Then mom made the face. "'I hate the face.' She turned the corners of her mouth down and wrinkled her forehead in a suffering sort of way as she added, "'Please, honey, can't you just try to like it? Everything will be so much easier if you do.' I stood there staring at her and thinking about how Bea had said almost exactly the same thing to me an hour before about the dance. "'Try to like it?' How was someone supposed to try to like things? Wasn't liking things just kind of automatic?' Wasn't I allowed to be in charge of my own feelings? Then, even though she'd watched me finish a huge bowl of pudding, mom suddenly picked up her purse and shouted at the top of her lungs, hey, time to reset, change the subject, total do-over. We're all cheering up and going out for ramen. That's an order, which had nothing to do with anything, though it was, I suppose, an effective way to end the conversation. Everyone likes ramen. And that's the end of the chapter. Do you like ramen? I have to ask, since that's the last words of the chapter. I'm a big fan. I'm also a big fan of the fourth wall break narration that this book does. So what do you think is going to happen to Zippy and B's friendship? Will they go to the dance together? Will they go with the walking group? How is their friendship going to change? You kind of get a taste of it in the prologue, but also her bar mitzvah, what is that going to look like? I hope you found that chapter intriguing enough to check out, and if not, there's always another book just waiting to be discovered. You can check this book out as a physical book. And if you need any help with your library card, you can always ask the library for help. And you can also check the show notes for some read alikes. Thank you for listening, and join me next time for another Next Reads.